Okay, here we are with um, the results of the breakout group um, examining the theme of delight in freedom from lust, anger, and sensual desire. So there are two poems that you looked into, one by Sumangalamata and one by Supa, the smith's daughter. And the questions were, what for you are the central messages conveyed by the images in these poems? Two, do you see the description of the predicament inherent in sensual pleasures expressed in these images as relevant today? Three, how might we nuance these messages in our actual practice? And four, is there anything you find useful or inspiring in these poems? So let's begin by reading Sumangala Mata's poem. Which means mother of good fortune. Free, free, I am thoroughly free from the pestle. My shameless husband, his sunshade, and my pot that smells like a water snake. Swish, swish, I strike down lust and anger. Going to the foot of a tree, ah, what happiness. Happy, I meditate. Thank you. Now we'll have um, the poem by Supa, the smith's daughter. Her name uh, means beautiful. Should we go around two stanzas per person, maybe? Yeah. Okay. Suba, the smith's daughter. Beautiful, the smith's daughter. May I no longer encounter sensual desire, in which there is no protection. Sensual desires are enemies, murderers, suffering like a mass of fire. Greed is dangerous, fearful, vexing, thorny disharmonious and an entry for infatuation. Sensual desire is dreadful threat, like the head of a snake, in which blind commerness and false delight. Within the mud of sensual desire, many people are foolish. They don't know the limit of birth and death. Because of sensual desires, many people enter a path to a bad destination and bring disease to themselves. Enemy-making, burning, defiling, sensual desires are the bait of the world, fetters the shackles of death. Lust, lust is maddening, captivating, mind-crushing, traps set out by moderate power. The defilement of beings, lust is endless danger, much suffering, a great poison, of little enjoyment, a maker of conflict, and withers up to good. Because with lust has a cause, I have created such misfortune, I will not return to it. Instead, I will delight in Nibbana. Wishing for calmness, I do battle with lust. I will live vigilant in destroying all fetters. I shall follow the path which is griefless, stainless, safe, noble, eightfold, and straight, by which great seers cross to liberation. 
Beautiful. Thank you. So, what do you think of these poems? The central Im messages of the images. So for the first one, um, we started out thinking that the pestle and the pot referred to her role as a householder. Um, the swish swish was maybe a, a broom. Um, the foot of the tree was uh, nature in contrast with her being in the house. Um, the sunshade was, you know, maybe the husband lounging around or, or her being in, in, in his shade. And then at, later on, the conversation turned toward whether um, there might be, instead of like slave, householder slavery, there might be a sexual element here, and that it's really about um, sexual slavery and the pestle and the water snake could be um, phallic symbols. That wasn't, there wasn't general agreement about that. Mm. So that was the first poem. And the second poem is Suba the Smith's Daughter. You want me to talk about the images in mm -hmm. that? Yeah, so there the images were um, destruction, traps, killing, a general theme of, those were the general themes. Uh, fire, all-consuming, uh, murderers, enemies that were against uh, Nibbana. And there was also imagery about um, more positive things, stainless, griefless, safe, and straight at the very end. Um, and I don't know that we, I think those ima that imagery was pretty, um, pretty obvious. It wasn't, there wasn't much interpretation in that. We, we did have a, I guess I don't know if this is A or B, but we did have a discussion about whether the sensual pleasures in the second one referred mostly to sexual pleasure or it was, you know, because there's a lot of talk of lust or it was more, um, you know, just the six sensual desires um, in general. So there was a little disagreement in the group about that. Thank you. It also mentioned that greed is dangerous and fearful, as well as sensual desire. So what do you see as the predicament inherent in sensual pleasures uh, that's expressed in these images? Is that relevant to us today? Well, there were two opinions in the group. There was one opinion that a lot of these were inherent to sexual limits today in movies and entertainment and all around us, advertising. That's a big danger. And 
another opinion what it referred to all sensual passion and that today you're even stimulated more than let's say years ago because you like you have lights that keep you up at night so you have TV impinging on you you have the internet someone said the internet is a that, that's real uh, Slave to that, your 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 senses are constantly being bombarded much more than those. It's even more relevant mm -hmm. today. It's even harder. My personal opinion is even harder today to put down the craving and clinging sensual passion than it was years ago. Because you have so much more stimulation today. Thank you. Um, I would also mention that uh, there was a sense that the poem number two is saying that there's an option to um, uh, not be captured by those um, those sensual desires, that you have the option of not um, becoming attached to them. And then also in number, in number one, rel related to that, where you know, we, we got the sense that she was sort of leaving the house, right? She was yeah. free, that, that like that, that was a physical a physical thing. But it could also be that it was um, her conditioned response to it had changed. Maybe she's still in that situation, but she's not um, feeling so much anger or feeling trapped. So that, that mentally, physically she's still there, but mentally she's, she's free. And I think it's sort of ambiguous in, in the poem. My sense is that she, she's talking about um, what prompted her to leave home and, and become a monastic, mm -hmm. that um, she was oppressed by her husband, being free from the pestle or all the wifely duties of having to grind the grain and cook. And then she says, my shameless husband, so you know, who knows what he might have been up to, mm -hmm. and his sunshade, so there he is lounging under a sunshade while she's doing all the work. And her pot that smells like a water snake, that could be a sexual image as well, of, of the female sort. Um, mm -hmm. And so it, then, so that's the, that's the first verse. Uh, and it's, again, it's the one that's very concrete and, and sets up the, the, the following verse for the um, transformation. Mm -hmm. And so swish, swish, I strike down lust and anger. So it sounds like she was really energetic and mm -hmm. you know, putting the energy that she w had, had, had to waste in her household duties mm -hmm. into destroying lust and anger. And then going to a foot of the tree, that's where the monastics would go to, m to meditate, just like the Buddha did. So finding refuge in meditation and the happiness of being able to meditate. I wonder how easy that was for Meg, I wonder how easy that was for women to do at that time, to just recognize I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> it was difficult. I mean, they, they, they weren't allowed to leave home without permission of their husbands. Yeah. So it, it, it took a lot of guts to do that, to do it. And then, of course, to live, you know, on alms food and no possessions and no money and homeless. It takes a lot of courage. I just have a question about like 
the 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 life condition like uh, of these women after they left their home or their husband. Is there any description or literature we? Can well, know? in the in the early days, uh, when you see something like I went to uh, to the foot of a tree to meditate. Uh, the nuns would go out into the forest, just like the monks, and meditate at the foot of a tree. And at some time, I don't know how many years later, um, one of the nuns got raped. Mm-hmm. And so from that point on, the Buddha um, made a rule that the nuns would no longer meditate alone in the forest, but they would live together in community. So that's one of the reasons that, that friendship is a much stronger theme among the nuns than it is among the monks. So the monks could still go out and meditate alone in the forest like the Buddha did, but for their protection, he um, put the nuns into a community. But still, they, you know, it depended on the lay supporters whether they had anything to eat or not, and uh, life was very austere, but so rich, you know, so full of happiness. So that that's another kind of amazing message of this monastic lifestyle is uh, one of the nuns in her poem said she, you know, giving up so much when she gave up her household life and all of her wealth, but it brought her happiness like she had never had before. Peace. One of the lines I like in, in this poem is when um, she says, wishing for calmness, I do battle with lust. That, that's a kind of an odd image because, you know, you don't usually think of doing battle as bringing calm. But in this case, in this case, it's, it's the real concerted effort to uh, be done with uh, being so hooked on our sense desires that opens the door for calm to arise. Great. And then the beautiful description of the path at the end, which is griefless, stainless, safe, noble, eightfold, and straight. Okay, ready for the third question? Sure. How might we nuance these messages in our actual practice? So on that same um, stanza um, about the doing battle, uh, living, uh, I was, you know, inspired by or thought the living vigilant was relevant to um, what we experience today, is that you have to be um, constantly, maybe not on guard, but just aware. Mindful. Yeah, mindful. Constantly mindful. Mm -hmm. And in all of these um, conditions that lead to awakening, mindfulness is the constant companion of each of them. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's the key to, to unlocking all these states. What was the word you used and then took back vigilant? I think vigilant applies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, guarding the sense doors uh, with Mara all around us That's in right. the form of many temptations. Yeah. Yeah. Vigilant applies. Yeah. 
Yes, it does. Yeah. In some ways, even more so today with all the the screens we have, and mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of omnipresent. Oh, and then to further answer your question, um, um, the last line of the first poem, or last two lines, going to the foot of a tree, happy, I meditate. This is like a reminder, do that more. Yeah. yeah. And not only that, but it doesn't have to mean struggle. You know, you, it, it's, it's a way of resolving struggle eventually. Yeah, and and as you probably know, in this in this um, the conditions that lead up to samadhi or deep meditation, the supporting condition for that is happiness. So it's very appropriate to have happiness as you're meditating under the tree. You're putting in conditions for samadhi to arise. And samadhi is not something you can make happen yourself. You know, you have to kind of step out of the way. But then it, it, it comes to you kind of as a gift. Could you say that again? Like, if you step out of the way, it comes to you. This is um, uh, in the, in the um, sutta on liberative dependent arising. There are a number of ki conditions that the Buddha describes that uh, the practitioner puts in place for Nibbana to arise and for the um, knowledge uh, of awakening to uh, be possible. And it begins with a wise response to our suffering. That's the first one. And with that, we develop faith or confidence. So we know, you know, we know that when we meet our suffering, there are two paths. One leads to more suffering when we uh, either emphasize it too much or hang, you know, give it too much weight, or we have aversion and we push it away. So neither of those are skillful. But if our response to our suffering or our uh, discomfort is not that, but rather to see it clearly and maybe even to welcome it with an open heart, you know, that each moment can be our teacher and we can, we can be with that moment. It may be pleasant or it may be unpleasant, but even if it's unpleasant, it's still something that we can hold especially if we have, you know, our awareness is spacious enough to be able to hold it. So when we start doing that, we start to get confidence that, ah, you know, I, maybe I can walk this path. Maybe this path is valuable for me, that it's something that I, I want to do. And so with faith or confidence, um, that leads to delight. And we're going to end our day today with uh, poems on delight. Um, and delight in turn, so you're glad that you're on the path. And that in turn leads to joy. Uh, and in this case, it's the joy of deep meditation, piti. Um, but it doesn't have to be um, that the only this very um, intense uh, inspirational joy uh, associated with, with the jhanas. It can also be a, a softer joy. And and joy, then, is the condition that puts in place tranquility. When finally we can let go of our restlessness, we let go of the thinking mind taking us off on trips, 
and we can just be calm. Calmness leads to happiness. Happiness makes the condition for samadhi, samadhi for clear seeing, clear seeing for disenchantment, disenchantment for dispassion, and then with all that, the dispassion is the fading away of all these uh, attachments, and then there's Nibbana. And after that, there's the knowledge of the destruction of the taints, the asavas. So that's, that's how it works. That's how, that's how happiness is a great thing to cultivate in meditation, especially when it's born of tranquility. Now, it's not born of some sort of excited happiness. It's a, it's a, it's a quiet, gentle, diffuse happiness. More the happiness. More the happiness from not wanting than from getting what you want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not related to sense desires. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Meg, I just wanted to say it, it was such a beautiful example for me of what the practice can offer us. I spoke to Meg, I think maybe almost a week ago or Sunday you spoke, and I was very concerned about something. And you said something so beautiful to me to remind me of, of just the things you've been saying. <laughs> that we just take what comes and we have the choice of either going down that road and, you know, the second arrow and thinking about it too much, or just accept it as, well, this is a, could be a little unpleasant, but even more than that, it could be an adventure. Or we could, there we have choices of different ways where we can ex- embark on <laughs> a new road. And isn't it amazing that the path to liberation, the conditions that you put in place for liberation, begin with suffering and our response to suffering? Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> Anyway, thank you. That was that was the Buddhist teaching. I didn't make that up. <laughs> so, what, what's interesting about what you described and the poem is that um, it you describe this sort of long path, right? From that you know starts from suffering and our response to suffering, and then you know, faith or confidence and so on and so forth. And happiness is, you know, a couple steps along the way there. And that's where she's already at. Yeah. And so I guess when I read this initially, I thought, oh, she's happy because she's out from under, you know, she's out, she's free, free. And, it, and, and it's really more than that. It's more subtle than that. But it could well be that she's happy to be free of mm-hmm. her unpleasant domestic situation. Mm-hmm. I prefer to think that she's just more advanced in her spiritual <laughs> practice. <laughs> but you know, these, these, this, these conditions are not necessarily completely linear. Oh. It's, it's like, you know, you start putting them in place, but they, you know, different moments arise and you have different opportunities to have joy. And, and so maybe, you know, and then, then you might go back a little bit and, oh, that gives a little bit more faith. And then you know, and so it's it's not just a, a straight line, but it's it's a process that's maybe more like spirals, mm-hmm. um, where we over time put these conditions in place and deepen them. And it's it's they're kind of synergistic. 
Okay, should we move to the, did, did we do um, the third question, how we might nuance the messages? Yeah, okay, and anything you found useful or inspiring? I think we heard about that too. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I just want to add um, one thing that I felt like as a like a woman, like I feel really inspired by the like I read both um, like toughness and softness, like mm-hmm. in these two points, and the, it feels like um, both women like women like they. They they're talking about battle battling. Mm-hmm. They're talking about um, they use like strong words like you have to fight, but at the same time, there's also this moment of going to the foot of the tree mm-hmm. and just delightful. And I just um, um, I really appreciate the presentation. That, that's a beautiful comment, and you know it's it's true. It's sort of a reflection of. Uh, the path of practice where in the beginning when we s- first start meditating, it's an uphill battle. You know, it's, it's really difficult and we have to make a l- huge amount of effort. And, you know, after, after some time, and it's a different amount of time for different people, some people are, go fast and some people go slow, but eventually um, you get to the place where um, right effort for you is no longer... Um, making that effort or doing that battle, it's opening up the heart and, and kind of sitting back and being receptive. And you're no longer the actor in your awakening. You're trusting the path and the awakening is coming to you. Just, just like, you know, samadhi. You, you can't just decide, okay, uh, you know, today I'm going to do samadhi. You know, you might be able to, you might not be able to, but when you when it is possible, it's not you who's, who's made it happen. There has to be a letting go of the, of the self, you know, and it comes, and it comes like a gift. Great. Well, thank you for, for uh, uh, go ahead, Bill. I, I think of it as the great unfolding. Yeah. I mean, at first, major struggle fallbacks, setbacks, mm-hmm. renewed struggle, disappointment. But with all, with every effort, you you are putting some um, elements in place. Yeah. And then the momentum starts to just sort of happen, right? Yeah, you put, the, you put the conditions in place, and then things can arise. 